Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. So we have AirPods for you. Okay, and then amazing. I'll Hi, guys. Hey, buddy. And should we just shut the door? Do you mind? Just so the kids don't run in <laughs> like they always do. Like they always do. Can I move this? Does that matter? Okay, cool. All right. Tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Wake up, America. Wake up. The political division in the country undeniably deep right now. Yeah, the big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Welcome back to Uncommon Ground. This is the show where we explore what it takes to make meaningful change in such a divided country. I'm Van Jones. Now, some of you may know me as a political commentator on CNN, but a lot of folks don't know about the work that I do when I'm not on camera, which is frankly most of the time. I'm a lawyer, I'm an advocate, and I've spent the past 30 years of my life fighting for justice, especially in the criminal justice space. My personal slogan and mission is to close prison doors and open up doors of opportunity. And in doing this work over the decades, I've had a bunch of allies, like from just literally all over the map, uh, lawmakers in D.C., people on both sides of the aisle politically, uh, grassroots folks on the ground, formerly incarcerated people, people in prison right now, business leaders, community leaders. But one of the greatest allies that I have had is Kim Kardashian. Now, you may have heard of Kim Kardashian, <laughs> she's pretty famous, and you may have even heard a little bit about the work that she does advocating for people who are behind bars, but I guarantee you, you don't know the half of it. Now, I have had a pretty straightforward journey into getting into this work, but Kim's journey has been very uncommon. On one day, Kim was just scrolling through Twitter when she came across the case of Miss Alice Marie Johnson. Kim got involved. She called people she knew in the Trump White House. And long story short, Miss Alice Marie Johnson is free today in large part because of Kim Kardashian. Fast forward to today, Kim has played an enormous role in passing important prison reform legislation and highlighting egregious injustices inside the prison system. And she's doing that both in the public eye, but also very importantly, behind the scenes. Now, Kim's just an example of what happens when you don't stay in your lane, uh, despite all the pressure to do so, and instead pursue something that you feel passionately about. So I just wanted to talk to Kim, dig into her work on a micro level, and think about what the future holds for her in this area. Over the years, she's become a great friend of mine, a great partner in this fight. And so stay tuned for my conversation when we get back with Kim Kardashian. Do you ever wonder where all your money went, like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. 
Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hey, buddy. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little under the weather today, but uh. aren't we all? Yeah, we we are. And and now that we're broken up, we can actually have a conversation in public. (laughs) I know, right? I know. Best (laughs) best rumor ever. That was was so awesome. That was funny. That was was funny. Yeah. I didn't really expect that. I know. It's so weird. Like, um, but I tell you, being a big nerd, uh, having all my guys from college calling, like, uh, thinking I was like the hero. I was like, no, we're just working on trying to get people out of prison but it was a cool rumor yeah so many people asked me also and i was like you guys i like <laughs> just I, I need a minute before i'm out there you know exactly. give me a give me a minute at least i know i know well look i am um, i don't know how many times we've been able to talk uh, publicly about all the great work that we've been doing um and, and your incredible stand for freedom and but we talk a lot privately, and I know as much as anybody else how dedicated you are. Um, before we get into the criminal justice stuff and the entrepreneur stuff and just all the mom stuff and everything I want to talk with you about, I just want to congratulate you for being one step closer to being a lawyer, being an attorney. Finally. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Like that's, that's, That is not an easy thing to do. You're doing the hardest thing the hardest way, trying to pass a California bar uh, by essentially, you know, studying on your own. So yeah. for those of you that don't know, my journey is um, I met you and we did a CNN interview and we talked about law school and you said to me, well, you know that like in California, there's four states that you can actually practice law and you don't need to have your college degree. And I said, well, I'm actually like a few credits away from my college degree. And, you know, it's not really something that I looked into, but I would love to go to law school. It like really intrigued me, the whole concept. And so basically in the state of California, you can be in like an internship at a firm, which my firm is Cut50, your firm. So thanks to you. And then you basically had... Erin Haney, who's like the best at criminal law. And so she teaches me that. And then we have Jessica Jackson, Mm -hmm. who teaches me, you know, contracts and torts and crim also. And then, you know, we brought in some other attorneys to help out. Um, 
And it's been the most amazing process, about 20 hours a week. Yeah. Took me a little longer than I thought to pass this first bar. You have to take two bars. And so this first one, I think, has like a 17%, something like that, pass rate, um, percentage pass rate. And I was confident all the first three times, even (sighs) when I had COVID and I took it, and I did not pass. And this last time, I was so nervous. I thought for sure I... There's no way I'm just like maybe not meant to do this. And you guys kept pushing me. And, you know, obviously not to make any excuses, but, you know, with four kids and work and so much going on, I realized I just wasn't ready like at those times, but I never gave up. And I finally passed my first bar out of the, the two that I have to take. And I was mortified every time I had to write you and be like, well, didn't pass it this time. Well, didn't pass it again. No way. No. Well, first of all, it's almost impossible to pass. And the people who are usually taking it are people who can focus on it. You've got, you know, four kids and all kind of stuff. And by the way, I mean, most people don't admit this. I didn't pass the bar the first time either. So <laughs> the California really? bar. I did not know the I cal- didn't know uh, that. See, I'm, I'm outing myself. I'm telling you. I didn't you. know that. And, and I have to there say. There is no shame no in shame. not passing. It, the only, it doesn't matter how many times you take it. It's how many times you pass it. And you only got to pass it once. You said that so. to me. You said, there is, <laughs> exactly. you said that. And I was like, you're so right. You're yeah. so right. It does yeah. not matter how many times you fail. Mm-hmm. I, I will say So on my essays, because you have to do four essays, I like my first test I ever took, I got a 75 and then the rest were like 60s. -hmm. Every other test I took, I got 60s. When I opened up this one, my first essay, I got a 90. And I was like, yes, like it was just the best feeling in the entire world to know just my growth and how much I've grown and that like I just wasn't ready. Like I, I... I'm ready. It's it feels so good. But look, I mean, I think um, you know, I've got a chance to work, as you know, with a lot of people, um, some of the best people in the world, including yourself. Most people, uh, when they're doing what you're doing, I mean, you're already a world class entrepreneur. You're already a media figure. You're already a mom of four. Just showing up for the press conference or just saying, hey, look, I'll post something on social media. That's a lot for somebody in your position. The idea that you're going to actually try to become an attorney so that when you walk in the room, you're equal with all the the other advocates. That's already so far above and beyond the call of duty. Can you just explain a little bit to people why you decided to take it that far? You don't have to take it that far. You could have literally just kept doing what you're doing without the law degree. You know, I've had this conversation with my dad actually a few times because I always wanted to go to law school because I was always really interested in the stuff that he was doing. And I remember we were in high school and my sister and all of our friends were out by the pool in the summer. And I was in my dad's office upstairs, the home office. And I was like going through evidence books and I was looking through things and I was so intrigued. And my sister would intercom around the house and be like, get down here. You're such a nerd that you're just going through everything and get, you know, we're all hanging out. And it's just, I was so into it. I was intrigued by the system, even though, and then I was really surprised later on in life how much I didn't know about the system. Right. Yeah. And that really bothered me. And so when I was able to help out with Alice Johnson, and then I was invited back to the White House, and I had this clemency meeting in the Roosevelt Room, and there was some of the most, you know, smartest attorneys and people and a lot of people that I looked up to and respected and a lot of people that I didn't know, I felt like, how can I be in a room with these people when I need my attorney right next to me to translate half of the things that 
everyone's even saying. And so they'd ask a question and I remember like raising my hand being like, what does that mean? Like yeah. I, I literally didn't know so much. And so I wanted to challenge myself and just felt like I need to be here on my own and understand what's really going on. And I was just horrified at just learning so much about the system. Like once you get in so deep, you realize everything is so messed up mm -hmm. and you don't know which way, like it can be really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so I thought if I could just focus, take on a certain amount of cases a year or at a time and go to school, it would just make me feel really satisfied and make me feel really accomplished. Well, look, I, I was in that, that room. Uh, I remember that, that meeting and I remember the look on your face and it, it, I remember it slightly differently because, really? uh, yeah, you, well, A, you didn't look overwhelmed at all. I'm always calm, no matter yeah, what. Exactly. <laughs> calm, <laughs> calmness is my superpower. <laughs> yeah, I will so, say that. Yeah. And, um, and I think also people may not know, you know, your father was an attorney, one of the great attorneys, um, and you wanted to, to be an attorney when you were a kid before you became a celebrity. So it was always in you. He actually advised me not to. Why? He said... I know you. Well, first of all, I got into school in Boston and at Boston University. And he said, I know you and you're going to fall in love when you go to college and you're going to move to the East Coast. And I just can't be that far away from you. So don't go. Mm. Go to school locally. And I know that being an attorney is one of the most stressful jobs True. that exists. And I feel like you're going to live a very stressful life. And then to get me to understand it, he said, you will get so many wrinkles and you will hate it. And I was like, enough said. <laughs> I'm never going to be an attorney. And, um, and he talked me out of it, actually. And That's so crazy. I think now looking back, he obviously would be so proud. And I think when you get a little bit older – and you know that you can really help other people and your life becomes less about you and more about what you can do for other people. The wrinkles don't really matter. I'll, I'll take some if I can help some people. Well, you, you helped a lot of people. And I don't see that many, many wrinkles. Um, you know, uh, Miss Alice Johnson uh, is the person that you mentioned, again, just to make sure that everybody's you know, able to keep up with the conversation. Uh, you know, African-American woman who was in jail with no chance of ever coming back out of federal prison. Uh, for a first-time nonviolent drug case, and uh, you saw a video about her. Yeah, I saw a video about her, and I just couldn't really grasp the fact that a, a first-time nonviolent drug offense was the same sentence as Charles Manson. Right. That, just seeing that was, like, shocking to me. And I sent it to one of the attorneys on the OJ case that was um, Johnny Cochran's right hand, Sean Hawley, and she knew my dad really well. And I knew her since I was a teenager. She's now my attorney. And I sent it to her and I said, just explain this to me. Like, what is this? Did she not have enough money to get a proper attorney? Like, I just didn't know how it worked. And I said, is there anything we can do? Still being really ignorant is, can I get her an attorney? Can I help do something? Still not knowing how this works. And so she broke it down for me and explained to me that, you know, she went up for trial she was found guilty. They gave her a life sentence without parole. 
most of the people in this sting operation, you know, she didn't know, Alice Johnson didn't know the quantity. She didn't know really who she was dealing with. She was a mother of five kids. Her baby just died in a motorcycle accident. Her husband just left her. Some, she just lost her job at FedEx. Someone from her job said, hey, you can make a couple hundred dollars if you answer the phone mm-hmm. and say this sentence and was a phone mule. And if you say this sentence, it means the operation's a go or whatever. She didn't really know the details. She didn't ask questions. She knew it was shady, but mm-hmm. she didn't ask questions. She needed to pay to get food on the table for her babies. And it was a big sting operation. She got in trouble and she thought, I don't know much. I'm going to fight this. And she did. Everyone got sentences, were in and out, and she got life without parole. And so just, you know, knowing that I could help make a difference and that I was able to really educate myself about this, once you start, there's no way you can stop and there's no way you can just allow the thousands of Alice's to remain behind bars for something that they have rehabilitated themselves, have grown. I'm just such a champion for second chances and change. And it has opened up my soul to seeing the possibility in so many people. Well, I mean, it, it, it really has. And, and for me, the, the similar process, you know, I, um, I was just a nerdy kid, you know, got into law school. And um, for me, it was like the Rodney King verdict where suddenly I thought, oh, like I'm here, I'm learning about the law, but it's supposed to be liberty and justice for all. But I can't walk out the front door of the law school and see liberty and justice for all in New Haven, Connecticut. There are kids at Yale who are doing every drug in the world. At worst, they might go to rehab. They're not going to go to prison. Nobody's even going to call the police. But if I go three blocks off campus, the kids at the housing projects who are doing way less drugs are all going to jail. So once I saw that, and I'm, again, some nerdy Christian kid from a small town in the South, you know, I just, you know, it's 30 years later and I'm still in the fight. You keep saying nerdy. You got to give yourself a little bit more credit. Well, if you say I'm not a nerd, I'll take it. But everybody else says I'm a nerd. I'm proud to be a nerd, you know. Uh, uh, Nerd pride, nerd pride. Um, I want to I want to talk with you about the most recent case, uh, the Julius Jones case, and I want to talk with you about how you approach these cases, and then we'll talk about some other stuff. But you know, uh, Julius Jones is a case that made a lot of uh, uh, headline noise because of his situation, and you got involved in that really early. I think sometimes people think, oh, well, Kim just shows up at the end uh, when there's a headline to be grabbed. But you called me about Julius Jones's case. Two years ago? Yeah, a couple years ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, Scott Bundnick brought me the case. Or you know what? I might have brought it to Scott. I can't remember, but I would get letters from a woman named Terry Mm -hmm. maybe twice a week. And (laughs) I I would recognize the handwriting when I would get the letters. And I would see these letters, and she wasn't on the legal team. She was just an advocate for him that was really in support of his case. And- talk so highly about him. And I got so many letters that I thought, okay, I have to really pay attention. I have to read this. Then I bring it to Jessica and Aaron or you or Scott Budnick. And if everyone believes in it and it's a go, then I just completely go full force. So Scott Budnick really helped me put together the most amazing team, a bunch of people from the faith world, from just the CEO world to the sports world, celebrity world. And so many people really believed in Julius that I think it really helped 
with his case. Um, he's someone that I really believe in his innocence. Yeah, give give a quick backstory on, on why you uh, think he's he's wrongfully accused. And I think it's important for people. I love what you're saying because for us, it's just normal. Like, you know, we hear some bad stuff and we start putting these teams together and getting stuff done. I don't think people know how hard it is and how much work it takes to save somebody's life. Yeah, I mean, it took two years. I mean, it was meetings with, you know, the governor of Oklahoma and a bunch of people on the ground in Oklahoma City that really support Julius. Um, he was right um, in college and Blake Griffin's dad was his coach, his basketball coach, and he was super smart and athletic and hung out with the wrong crowd of people that committed a robbery. They stole a businessman's car and killed him in the process. And then they went over to his house afterwards and his defense, they never questioned his parents or called any witnesses to say mm. that he was with his family and everyone at home. The new evidence that we were trying to bring in is since everyone involved had been since let out, the guy, Christopher Jordan, has admitted to numerous people that he had done that and framed Julius. Mm. So as so many people saw that this was a huge victory, that we were able to stop his death from happening and his execution from happening, you know, I talked to Julius on a regular and um, he doesn't, you know, he imagine his frustration. Of course, he was able to spare his life, but he doesn't. Now it's a whole new fight because he yeah. doesn't want to remain and live. He's been in there for over 20 years and for a crime that he did not commit. And so he's, you know, grateful and thankful to everyone that stepped up to help. But he's not satisfied with the outcome. He wants to be out with his family and do all of the things that he missed. And I... I, you know, will not stop fighting for him. It's now just a new fight. So I'm grateful to the governor of Oklahoma for, you know, stopping his his execution. But there's so much more to do. You know, I think calmness is your superpower because even now the way you're talking about is very calm. But I remember when it was happening and you were literally talking to somebody on the phone who, you know, you thought uh, was going to be put to death. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Like what what do you what do you say in those moments? Yeah, so I actually had to get advice from people on what to say in those moments, especially when I was working on the Brandon Bernard case and he was in fact executed and I remember crying and you know, hearing that he was caught, this is Brandon we're talking about, hearing that he was claustrophobic or worried that he would be claustrophobic in the chair mm -hmm. and then on his last call when he was in the execution room said, please tell Kim I'm not claustrophobic. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And like moments like that, I'm sitting like, I'm like, if only someone could see my day, I'm like hysterically crying, calling every governor that I could possibly imagine to try to stop someone's execution. And then I have to run into, you know, a skims fitting and I'm fitting and I'm crying and I'm can't really get my work done. And then I have to, you know, it was just, such a whirlwind of a day. Your um, life is like crazy in that regard. And, you know, talking to Julius, just sometimes you just have to be that ear to listen to or tell fun stories or what do you want to know and what do you want to talk about? Or imagine for years, the only thing that this person has heard is legal stuff. And mm -hmm. 
stuff about the case. So I will say, what else do you want to talk about? Do you want to, what kind of music do you like? What do you like to do for fun? Or do you want to talk about anything else? TV shows, like I'll literally talk about anything because anything just to get their mind off of what they're going through. And then you're interrupted. I remember talking to Julius and then a guard came in and was like, hey, take this pill. And he was like, I can live with myself. I don't need anti-anxiety medication right now to calm me down, which they give you to try to calm you in your last few days. And he is like, I can sleep at night. I can sleep with myself. I do not want to be under the influence of anything. Like I have, I want to feel these emotions and he denied the medication and being on the phone with him while all of this is happening, you know, it just, I think people don't even really know what it's like being on death watch and you're being checked on every 15 minutes. The lights are on. There's no sheets in your room. There's no communication except for when you're shackled. And when I visited Julius, he was fully shackled. But I was able to go over and give him a hug because I was in as an attorney. And on the attorney side, since, you know, I finished that much schooling, you could be like, you know, a second. And so then afterwards, I went and I saw his parents and his family and his sister. And I, they asked how it went. And I said, oh, and I, I gave Julius the biggest hug. And, and his mom started like crying, I think. And she was like, I haven't hugged my son in 22 years. Lord have mercy. Because it's their visits are through glass. So mm-hmm. I felt like, oh my God, I was able to hug her son. Now she's since been able to hug him since he's now, you know, wasn't executed off death watch and transferred. And that was just the best feeling they say ever. Right. Yeah. But it's it's just so, you know just in Oklahoma, reading the guidelines of what it's like on death watch, they say like there's a defibrillator. If he has a heart attack when he's being put in the chair, right? They you know, bring use him back. the defibrillator, bring him back to life just so you can murder him. Yeah. Like it's the craziest concept to me that I just like to get as much information out there when it's happening in real time with the permission of the person involved, obviously, just so that they can get their story out there and show people what it's really like. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the the level that you're involved, I think, is something that you know people don't know about. Kind of on purpose, I think you you know you, you're not trying to get a bunch of attention for every uh, aspect of it, but we're very strategic about it. I think people, you know, I always make I always make private calls, right. First, you know, I think there has to be a strategy to it because sometimes people don't want to make a move just because they got a call from a celebrity, you know, and I'm really well aware of that. So it's all the private calls first, and I'm really respectful of how they want to, you know, communicate and get the story out. And then if we have to, and it's an emergency and no one's taking our calls and we have to get it out there, then I put it on blast and we put the case on blast. But everything I do first and foremost is all behind the scenes that nobody sees or hears about. And that's how I think is the most respectful way. And that's how I think you really get something done. And then we have a whole team meetings and strategizing exactly how we're going to get the messaging out. And I I just, I, I think about if I'm reading a case, I think about what would I do if that was my son? What would I do if that was my daughter? All right, now stick around. We're talking to Kim about entrepreneurship, motherhood, authenticity, and how she responds to her critics right after this short break. Do 
Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage in a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at Amazon.com slash Instant Eraser Foundation. On the Nintendo Switch system, you can team up with friends in Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Where you can meet talking flowers. Life's full of surprises. And where piranha plants sing. And where Mario, Luigi, and Peach turn into elephants. Wowie zowie! And where this announcer turns into a... Super tiny announcer! <laughs> That's not in the game. <clears throat> Sorry, got a little excited. Nintendo Switch, the home of Mario and friends. Game rated E for everyone. Game and system sold separately. Look, I think it's important that people understand, like, it it shouldn't take a big celebrity. It shouldn't take all this stuff to get justice. But that's just how broken the system is, that if you just leave it up to the lawyers and the, the clerks and the judges or whatever, a lot of people are going to be behind bars forever or die behind bars or literally be executed because we don't have a perfect system. Um, it, it breaks my heart when I hear criticism. And I just wanted to give you a chance to just respond to some of the things that, you know, sometimes you see on social media, um, just so people can kind of hear in your own words, you know, how you process this sort of stuff. Like people say that you're just doing this sort of, um, it's like a PR kind of a clout chasing move on your part. Why do you think people say that? And how does that hit you? And how would you respond to that kind of thing? Oh, I honestly don't care. Like <laughs> I, I really, truly don't. Like maybe Kim six, seven, eight years ago would have really cared. But if that's what you guys think, and if it's a PR stunt, like we're helping people. So Mm -hmm. it's working. I don't know. You know, it just doesn't, I think just when you get to a place in your life, when you've had enough life experience and you become a parent and you see the world we're living in, like my whole life has been so much about me. And I'm to a place in my life where I don't care for that the way that I used to. And now it's time to help other people. And that's my personal growth. And it's not really for me to go and explain to people why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's working. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to help people and change people's lives and reunite them with their families. And that's really all that matters. And you kind of have to tune out the noise. If like I went and like followed every last rumor, even if it seems super credible or someone close to you that you knew. And it's just like people grow and evolve and change. And it's like, sometimes I just, I can't get the work done unless I just put my blinders on and focus and surround myself with the people that believe in the same things that I believe in, or even on another level, even people that I like to work with people that don't believe in the same. I like to learn from them. (laughs) I like to grow from them. And I've just learned so much on this journey that I'm just forever grateful to you, to Cut50 for sponsoring me in law school for whatever reason, if I nothing else comes from it and I get my license. Like I've learned so much over these last few years that I just, I feel more empowered. I feel stronger. 
I feel smarter. I still might not be able to know everything on my kids' homework, whatever they <laughs> learn and how they relearn their math these days. I might mm-hmm. not know that, but I know a lot as an adult and it's empowering to not put like an age limit or a time limit on trying to learn and grow. And I don't give a fuck what the <laughs> haters say. I don't even know if I'm allowed to swear on you your can, show. You but can say whatever you want to on this show. I then. don't care at all. And that feel, that's growth for me. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. feels good for me to yeah. genuinely not care and continue doing what you're doing. Otherwise, if I stopped all along the way to explain myself, then you know, we we wouldn't get to where we're going. So I don't care. You, you do have this an unbelievable ability to focus. I mean, and, and it reminds me when we were in the, the Roosevelt room and you and I have been in the Oval Office with, with President Trump trying to get him to do stuff. Your ability to be present, your your syllable to impact ratio is unbelievable. Like you, when you speak, what you're saying is always the clearest and moving the action forward. So even when we were in that, you're thinking, raising my hand, and I didn't, like, you were already giving, like, a lot of leadership to what we were doing, because we can all get kind of egotistical and talk around in circles and stuff, and you're like, how are we going to get this guy out? <laughs> That's what I remember yeah. you asking. And, yeah. um, and so, um, but, you know, we, you know, you got some criticism for working with Trump. People say, you know, you're being a white savior, um, you know, all these different things. But, but w- when those things hit your inbox, you just hit delete. Yeah, I mean... I just can't worry about it or we're not going to get it done. And like, you know, one thing that I was seeing is like, oh, well, Trump's using you and you're, and I was like, so what, like, so what on all of it? Like it's happening. We're learning, we're growing and And we're helping folks. I truly believe that that administration, you know, I'll always give props where props are due and, and a lot was done in the Trump administration. And I always, you know, I can't care about what people were saying or 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 not saying. We just we had to go in there and we had to get it done and we did. And I remember we were doing a talk when Trump signed the First Step Act and that was just the craziest moment and that was such a big moment. Mhm. Yep. You know, we got it done. Yeah, and now there's uh, 20,000 people who are safely home. Uh, they, they didn't come home and tear up the country. They came home and got, you made them got to work and, and are doing well. What are some of the things that if you were, if you, if you were president Kim Kardashian, if you were, you know, the Supreme court, like what are a couple of things that you would change, uh, to make things better? You know, just trying to fix the system as a whole, in addition to the individual cases, anything come to mind? Oh my God, so much. But first and foremost, I think what people don't realize is when you get people inside you don't set them up to prosper when they get outside. So it is just a failing system because inside there needs to be programs, there needs to be rehabilitation, there needs to be a completely different system on the inside so that when they're let out, there are places to go. Obviously, there's amazing organizations that help with all of that, but Imagine if you're arrested and all of your stuff is gone and you have a life sentence and then, you know, 20, 30 years down the line, you get out. What have you done? What have you been taught to how to better society when you get out? If we ultimately just want a safe society, what are we doing to teach everyone inside to rehabilitate, to change, to learn, to grow? I mean, I saw the statistic that like we've opened up in California 
over the last like 20 years, like 20 or 30 prisons, but only like one new university. Yeah, in the past 30 years. That's like the wildest thing to me. How only one university in all that time in like 25 prisons or whatever it is. It just it just seems so backwards. Uh, I feel the same way. It's like, um, you know, we spent $100,000 per year per kid locked up here in California. You know, $100,000 for one kid. Like give a black grandmama one kid and a hundred thousand dollars, and see how quickly yes. that kid prospers, as opposed yes. to you know spending spending that much money brutalizing them and putting them in a, in a negative situation. And then the smallest things, like how do you get out? Everything's been stripped from you. How do you get your ID? How do you get your bank account? How do you get a driver's license? Like how do you get all of these things to be able to get a job, to be able to set yourself up? The whole probation and whole back end of it. I would absolutely change. And this is what a lot of people think. They think that because we are for reform, that we are not tough on crime. Mm-hmm. Obviously, to me, that's not how I feel. Yeah, the, the crime the crime spike is now made some people worry about we're doing too much reform, which I think we're doing too little. But Yeah. And I think that the messaging that because people have been out that they are recommitting crimes and making California, especially Los Angeles and San Francisco, a really scary place to live in. And I am absolutely scared myself sometimes. I know all my friends are. We have group chats. We talk about it all the time. But I think that it also is so much more to do. Like If you look at the statistics and the numbers that these people that have been let out aren't the ones that are recommitting these crimes. And it's, you know, it, it it does just seem really scary to people. And so reform, I think right now seems like a really scary place for officials and people in power to want to really push forward with it. You know, it's interesting that I started off with Alice thinking like, okay, I would never get involved in anything that was, had any violence involved. I couldn't really understand it. And then Scott Budnick brought me to a women's prison and everyone told their stories and I felt like I felt so connected and and I understood them and I heard their backstories and my heart I just feel like every time my heart opens up and I've completely helped people that have been involved in you know maybe a, a murder and taken someone's life when they were 14 or 15 years old and completely are a changed person when they're in their 40s and so many people just weren't set up for success. And yeah, it's not, like, not we could change all of that if we just changed what happens once you get inside. I mean, then you start looking into like bail issues and then you're like, oh, that's all messed up. Literally everywhere you turn in the justice system, you hit a, a roadblock and you wish that it could, that it, it has to be different. So, yeah. I mean, from mandatory minimums to felony murder rules, like I can get so deep into every corner and tell you how messed up it is. But I would say if there was one overall thing, I believe no matter how tough or violent or anything that you do in your lifetime, you are not defined by that day, by that choice. I do believe that you can change your whole life around and that you can have a better life and a second chance at life. And I see people that I've met with that I know have completely changed their life around. It makes me want to just fight a little bit harder for them so that 
we really get the message out there that the right people should be let out and we shouldn't stop fighting for people that no one wants to fight for. Right. And, and like the, the crime spike is going up where there's been reform and where there hasn't been. I think it's more has to do with COVID and just all the crazy stuff that's going on. And that's, I think, I mean, there are places Absolutely. like California that have done reform, places that haven't. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I think I'd be remiss if I only let you talk about the, the change-making stuff because you are such an incredible entrepreneur and you've inspired so many women. And I didn't realize that Skims is only a couple of years old. I thought Skims had been around forever. And two years old. Two years old. And the Wall Street Journal just gave you some big award. So talk about how Skims got off the ground and what was the hardest thing you had to overcome? Because even you uh, have stuff to overcome. You don't have all good days. You have tough days. What was the toughest yeah. thing about, about launching Skims? Uh, and get especially thinking about some of the working moms out there that might have ideas themselves and want to do their own entrepreneurial thing. Yeah, well, I always love to come up with something that I think doesn't exist. So I would always take my shapewear. Shapewear, for those of you that don't know, it's like something that you'll wear under your clothes to just kind of hold you in. It's like undergarments. And every, you know, if there is something that's sheer, you can wear it underneath so that it won't be sheer. And it only came in a light shade nude and in the color black. And so I would always wear it under sheer dresses and things, but you'd see the shapewear underneath because it wasn't my skin tone. Mm. And so I used to take it and put it in the sink and dye it with like coffee bags and tea bags to stain it a little bit of a darker color to match my skin tone. And I thought to myself, if I can't find my skin tone and I'm not even that dark, how is my daughter when she grows up and all of her friends going to find shapewear and undergarments that are their skin tones? So I came out with a range of nine different skin shades and were like an extremely inclusive, um, like age inclusive, skin tone inclu inclusive, size inclusive range of all undergarments, shapewear, loungewear, pajamas. Um, you know, I'm wearing my loungewear right now. And um, I just, I really love what I do. I really think that if you find something that you really love to do and you find something that maybe doesn't exist in the marketplace, I'm all about solutions. Mm -hmm. That's like always what I've been. So it's like a solution-based brand of the things that I could never find out there and I'm so excited. It's doing extremely well. But, you know, you asked what a challenge was at the beginning. You know, our, our brand name was called Kimono. And I got a lot of backlash at the beginning for naming my brand that. And automatically, I immediately changed the name and had to just pause for a second and rebrand. And we already did our photo shoots. We already printed the labels. We did everything. So we had to reprint labels, sew them over each garment, but it was really important to me to do the right thing, stop, not ignore it. And you have to also figure out when it's noise and when it's serious. Right. And right. and that with everything, with like even the backlash or some of the talk that that I might get in the work that we do, anything that we do, you have to really stop and think about is this serious or is this just gossip talk and and really do the right thing. And it was really beneficial to take our time and do that. So there's challenges no matter what. There's challenges all the time. And it's just taking the time. If you run the brand, founded the brand, like if you're the face of the brand, you have a lot going and a lot to lose. So you just have to pay attention all the way around the board and just make sure that you are on top of it. You know, I, one of the things that I think you are always balancing is the lack of a better term, like the sex appeal, the 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 beauty part, 
And then some people say that that's a negative. How do you think about that? You're a mom, you're raising young girls. People say, hey, Van, you like Kim Kardashian. She's helping the guys behind bars. But she's ruining girl self-esteem and that kind of stuff. How do you respond to that set of criticisms? I remember like the first time I went to the White House, I think before I posted like a bikini selfie. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, I'm going to the White House tomorrow. Are they going to like think this is okay? And do I have to not be me? And do I have to just turn into a totally different person? And then I just really thought to myself, you know what? I put in the work and I feel good about myself. And so if I want to post something where I feel good about myself and I'm on vacation with my friends and I want to post that, I will. And I am also the founder of Skims, but I'm also in most of the campaigns. So it is shapewear, lingerie, undergarments, but it is a fine balance. You know, of course, I don't think I would post a lot of the things that I would have posted before I had kids. Again, mm-hmm. that's you growing and evolving and yeah. changing. And how does how does it impact? In other words, you're raising daughters. You're you are c- considered like I don't know this uh, the unattainable beauty standard, and you're using that to advance causes and to advance commerce and to change the fashion industry. But you're also being a mom raising daughters. I mean, how, what is the balance? And what would you say to moms trying to figure this out? And how are you trying to figure this out? I think that you can do it all. I know that sounds like a very high standard, but I think that you, if you set your mind to it, you can do it all. And that means if you feel like going and posting a bikini photo, then that's what you should do. If you feel like going to law school or studying law school in a bikini, you should do that. You know, <laughs> it's your life. You have one life. Do whatever makes you happy. I love it. Um, but I think that I don't want to be that embarrassing mom for my kids <laughs> that, you know, they go to uh, school I, and why is mom always posting on Instagram? I am mindful too. And I, and I do want to yeah. be respectful of my kids. So once they start telling me, mom, you're embarrassing, then, you know, hey. Well, look, I, I think, you know, for yourself, you're talking about freedom, you know, having the freedom to be an entrepreneur, having the freedom to be sexy, having the freedom to fight for what you believe in, having the freedom to fight for people who don't have freedom. And, you know, I think that if people take that away from you and the stand that you're taking, I think, you know, that's good for everybody. And, you know, our partnership has been incredibly good for me. It's been good for Cut 50 and the Dream Corps. It's been good for the country. And I just hope we can keep it going. And I really Absolutely. appreciate you. I really appreciate you. Wait, th- no, thank. Seriously, thank you. It's because of you that pushed me to get into law school, and to you know, you and Jessica and Aaron and Sam and Chuck who teach me also. But yeah. you know, it's it's really you that started it. That told me that I could do it, and that you believed in me. And I think everyone in life has you know different mentors along the way that really show them that they could do it. And you guys have never given me any like parameters or limitations of what I can do and how it should be done. And we're doing it the way that we can and we know how. And that to me is letting me be me and teaching me that I can do whatever I want. It's always so amazing to know you have those people in your corner. So thank you. I I appreciate you so much. And, um, and it seems like maybe you don't think I'm a nerd. I don't think you're a nerd. Or maybe I'm a nerd too. I think, I think what people I think don't both, realize is I think that we're both I'm ne- a nerd too. <laughs> I think that's the cl- that's, <laughs> yeah. I think I think that's closer to the truth. So look, let's 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 us do good or nerd stick together, and uh, we'll have you back on Uncommon Ground some other time. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. Okay. Bye. Bye. 
Hey, that was excellent. Yay! <laughs> You know, Kim is one of my favorite people in the whole world. I just, I love her heart. I love her commitment. And she's just a natural when it comes to doing this work. And, you know, in this criminal justice mission, you know, this cause, it's, you know, filled with a whole bunch of people who are fighting tirelessly to make a difference. And there's some grassroots folks that I want you to know about. One is Topeka K. Sam. She's an amazing formerly incarcerated advocate, founder of Ladies of Hope Ministry, Topeka, nobody knows this, she was actually integral in getting Miss Alice Johnson out of prison. She actually produced the video that Kim saw on Twitter that inspired Kim to get involved in the first place. Also want to shout out Brittany Barnett, who's an incredible attorney who represented Miss Alice Johnson and many others who, who have fought successfully for clemency. My angel Cody, uh, who's a federal lawyer who's won freedom for more than 40 people facing life sentences. And, of course, LaTanya Myers, who joined us on Uncommon Ground earlier this season. She's working to fix the probation and parole system. There are just so many amazing people who are part of this fight who have been doing this for a very long time. And when you have Kim Kardashian on your side, that's like having the Incredible Hulk on your team because she's just that powerful. And, you know, you might ask yourself the question, that's great, but why can't we have a system that works without celebrities and superstars having to jump in and to fix it? Why do we need to have such big influencers uh, to make a difference? The fact that you got to have a Kim Kardashian level global star just shows you how broken the system really is. I don't care if you're on the left, right, black, white, brown. I don't care what you are or who you are. I think you would agree with me and with Kim that a first time nonviolent drug offender should not get the same prison sentence as the mass murderer Charles Manson. I think you'd agree, I think we could all can agree, that if a person is sentenced to death and then new evidence comes forward that proves that they're innocent, that evidence should be taken seriously and the person shouldn't be killed by our government. But this is the type of stuff that is going on that Kim and others are stepping up to deal with. Part of the problem is the system is so big. You've got over 2 million people who are locked up in this country and another 4 million people who are caught up on probation and parole. That's 6 million people. When you have a system that massive, there's going to be injustice. There's going to be problems that become harder and harder to solve over time. But even if you're somebody who's never been touched by the system, when you hear about this stuff, you know, try asking yourself the questions that Kim asked herself. What would I do if this was my daughter? What would I do if this were my son, my sister, my father, my mother? I think from that point of view, a lot of us can do a lot more. You know, as for me, I approach this work through an organization I helped to get started. It's called the Dream Corps. And we're working to close prison doors and open doors of opportunity. We have a, a national network that's working to change policy right now in these areas. And I'd love to have your involvement in it. If you want more information, you can go to our website. It's the Dream Corps, C O R P S, thedreamcore.org. We'll spell it out for you in the show notes. I hope that this conversation that we've had stirs something in you on this issue or another issue. Uh, nobody expected that Kim Kardashian, with all her great success in, in fashion and television and all that, could also be a force multiplier for good in a completely different area. There is some area that you could be a force multiplier for good that maybe you've never given yourself a chance to work on. 
But whatever you are, whatever you do, whatever your gifts are, those gifts can be used for good. And the Uncommon Ground community is committed to the idea that there's way more good in us than bad, and there's way more opportunities to help than to hurt, and we want to keep pushing in that direction. I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to Kim about that. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week for more Uncommon Ground. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Adesua Agbenile, and Lindsay Cradlewell. Our managing producers are Lauren D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for this show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Morais, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Taylor Williamson, Seven McDonald, Drew Schwindeman, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkney, Vanessa Rebert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jackman. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges. They will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not millions. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. 